0: Well, this morning we're going to continue our, our study in the book of Colossians, but if, if it's okay, uh, turn to the book of Micah. I assume it is okay. Um, I don't really care if it's not, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Micah chapter 5. I was reading in Micah 5 this morning. Uh, to be perfectly honest, as I, I was just praying uh, early this morning uh, out on my front porch uh, before the sun came up, of feeling a sense of inadequacy over the sermon that I have prepared for you. And in particular, it was studying the book of Colossians, and, and this phrase, this, this section of Colossians, really kind of one propositional truth after another. And, and, and there was some, somewhere, for some reason, a check in my heart that uh, is this what we really need to hear? I mean, why, why aren't we talking about something more practical? Why aren't we talking about how to manage your money? Or why, why, why aren't we talking about politics? Or why, why aren't we talking about a marriage or, or, or something to that degree? Why are we going to, as you'll see in the moment, just simply celebrate and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is creator? And it was str- a bit of a struggle in my heart. And God, I think, spoke to me from Micah chapter 5. This is a familiar passage, one you perhaps have already read this Advent season remind you of these glorious truths. We read in verse 1, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now... He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. If you're wondering this morning as we look in Colossians, why are we studying this? What's the point? Why are we gathering once again on Sunday morning, working meticulously verse by verse through an ancient letter to an unknown people? I'm reminded of the heart of God according to Micah 5. That Christ shall be great. And that's my great hope and desire. As we consider God's word from this wonderful little book, that Christ would be exalted as great in your life. So you might even be in an attitude of prayer as you hear God's word this morning, asking him to magnify the Lord Jesus through this wonderful passage, which we find as we continue our work through the Christ hymn in Colossians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 16, hear now the word of God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him. All things hold together. Our Father in heaven, our great God, we thank you for the truths in which we can consider this morning. Even as we ask you to magnify your Son in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. That we would think great thoughts of the Lord Jesus. And as we think great thoughts, our hearts would be moved with great affection towards the Lord Jesus. And as our hearts move towards him, our wills would move as we would long to be more and more like Jesus, more obedient to Jesus. So we pray for help this morning. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there has been some great debate over the last couple thousand years as to who truly Jesus is. Many people have thrown their hat in the ring. Many have offered their suggestion. Of course, the debate even continues today, and it was the columnist and biographer Andrew Wilson who said that Jesus was a good Jewish lad with a brilliant flair for shrewd moral teaching, but he would have been horrified of people worshipping him as if he were divine. Dr. Barbara Thiering, a professor at Sydney University, offers her unique insight when she says, Jesus was married and had three children. Then he divorced and remarried. He did not die on the cross, but lived and went, on, went with Paul on his missionary travels. It was with Paul in Philippi that Jesus met his second wife. Dr. Morton Smith, professor of ancient history at Columbia University, reveals that Jesus was a magician who influenced his followers through illusion and hypnosis. A practicing Episcopal bishop, in fact a rather famous one, would say of Jesus, quote, He was not born of a virgin since Mary had probably been violated. Jesus himself was married. The wedding at Canaan was probably his own. And perhaps my favorite is John Allegro, a, a Semitic scholar who has declared that Jesus was not actually a person at all, but a codename for a hallucinogenic drug. The writers of the New Testament were members of an ancient fertility cult who committed their secrets to writing an elaborate cryptogram, the New Testament itself. So how do you like the options so far? It is the great uh, science fiction novelist H.G. Wells who wrote I am not a believer, but this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. I think we're getting closer. According to Paul, Jesus, as we saw last week, is the very image of God. And he is the firstborn of all creation, as we shall see today He will go on to elaborate and extol the greatness and the majesty of Christ. These are what has been known, as we talked about last week, the Christ hymn, verses 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1. We read today in verse 16 that Jesus created all things, and all things exist for Jesus. And then in verse 17, we see he is before all things, and all things hold together in Jesus. In verse 18, we see that Jesus is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, and therefore he must be preeminent. In verse 19, we see all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. In verse 20, we see that Jesus reconciles all things to himself by the blood that he shed on the cross. That's the biblical answer to who is Jesus. It doesn't really fit with some of the conclusions that we have bantered about today. Some of the other notions that that are, are out there today about who Jesus is. And what we shall consider today, in fact, perhaps what we consider every Sunday, is considered by the world to be primitive and ignorant and even worse, offensive and ludicrous. And yet, if Paul's message some 2,000 years ago contains truth, and I believe with all my being that it does, it ought to impact every person in this world, believer and non-believer, certainly you today, as we consider that Jesus is the Lord of creation. We saw in verse 15, He is the firstborn of all creation. We saw that firstborn is a reference to a title, a rank. He, that is, He is ruler. He is the heir of creation. Today, we discover why that is true, as we see that he all things are created by Jesus, all things are created for Jesus, all things came after Jesus, and all things are sustained in Jesus. The four points of this sermon this morning. We'll begin considering that all things are created by Jesus. For we read in verse 16, For by him all things were created. All things owe their existence to Jesus. I discovered this week that there are some 800,000 catalogued species of insects. I think that's about 790,000 too many. Nevertheless, they were all created by Jesus. The Milky Way contains, the the galaxy in which we reside, contains 200 billion stars. It is one galaxy of billions of galaxies. They were all created by Jesus. It was just a month or so ago i took my seven children backpacking for four days through the uh the forest of pennsylvania and when i scheduled these backpacking trips i always try to schedule it around the moon cycle in particular i try to schedule them when there it will be no moon shining because i want them to come out and be able to see a glimpse of the stars that uh, that i used to see out in the deserts of california And, of course, we can't see it in that brilliance, but we did see it. It was gorgeous. I think many of my children saw the Milky Way for the first time, that that white stripe across the sky. And as we just stood out there in silence in this meadow in the middle of the night staring up, you know what we begin to do somewhat spontaneously? We begin to sing. We begin to praise God. Why would we do that? Well, because the Scripture tells us, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all this? He who brings out the starry hosts and calls them by name. I do hope, my friends, that you are still astonished by this world. I, I do hope you still... Feel a a sense of majesty and a purple sunset as my three-year-old does seemingly on a daily basis or the vastness of the ocean or feel awe when you watch a nature documentary as animals stampede across Africa or you learn about multi-generational migrations of monarch butterflies over thousands of miles. I hope you'll wonder, continue to wonder at falling snow or a Clayton Kershaw curveball, right? It's inspiring because the one who created it is inspiring, namely Jesus. Wolves were introduced, reintroduced to Yellowstone about 25 years ago. I learned this as well in my study. In the 19th century, the wolves were hunted to extinction in Yellowstone because of the threat they presented to livestock. Well, once this natural predator was removed, the elk population exploded. They began to leave their natural habitat and came down to the riverbanks. In doing so, they destroyed the vegetation on the riverbanks. In 1995, 41 wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone. Because of this, the elk withdrew from the riverbanks, and the dense vegetation began to regrow, which led to a return of songbirds and small animals there. As the new vegetation uh, grew, it prevented the erosion into the riverbanks and the water became cleaner and beavers soon returned to Yellowstone. The beavers then dammed up the rivers and fish began to multiply in Yellowstone and because of the multiplication of fish, otters returned to Yellowstone. The grizzly bears in population multiplied as well because they no longer competed with the elk for the berries which was their natural uh, food source. All because 41 wolves were introduced. I find that extraordinary. Even in the fallen state of this world, nature displays a beauty and a glory and a harmony. And they all testify to the one who has made it. They all testify to their creator. Behind the order in this world is a person. His name is Jesus. It was Descartes who some 300 years ago said, I think, therefore I am. I'm not sure he went far enough. That seems superficial to me. Perhaps he should have said, I think, therefore, Christ is. Because without Christ, I would not be at all, and you would not be at all. We would not exist. And so when you think of Jesus, in particular this time of year, do not simply think of a baby in a manger, though that's appropriate. Do not simply think of a crucified Savior. Of course, we must. But also think of Maker and Creator. It is no wonder that the storms obeyed him. There's no wonder that the, the bread multiplied in his hands. It is no wonder that the spiritual forces of evil fleed in his presence, because he made it all. Of course, you, you're well aware that the world rejects this idea. Right? I, in fact, I, I think half, half of Christians today reject this idea, sadly. But if God exists, they say, if God exists, the world says, at least, then his realm, well, he kind of operates in the realm of the heart. That's where, let's, let's put God in the heart or the soul or maybe the afterlife, but certainly not the world, not, not, not nature. That's the realm of science. That's the realm of the laws of nature, and the laws of nature have taken control over the world, and those who, who teach the laws of nature, physicists and biologists and all the rest, they have become our high priests in this day, and what they tell us is that the world is self-sufficient. What they tell us is that the world is a product of random uh, time and chance. And and because of all the random products, this is what we have. This is where we ended up. And I know, uh, of course, the vast majority of the world believes that. Maybe some of you believe that. Or maybe you watching on the live stream believe that. I wonder if you do, if you believe that this is a purely materialistic world, that this world is just a, a coincidence of physics, how then do you find any meaning or purpose in life? I mean, if you're no, no, no different than, than the, the, the molecules in this pulpit, you're just a little more complex. Where do you, where do you find a purpose to live for, a, a meaning? I don't think you can, to be perfectly honest. If this is a purely materialistic world, there is no such thing as purpose. What, what gives anything purpose? Of course, we believe, and I think we all understand this in our heart, that the world is not a, a purposeless accident. You're not a meaningless collection of atoms. The world is created by Jesus, all of it including the things we can't see, for you read on in verse 16, and what do we read? He says, "All things are uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So Jesus made the microscopic, and Jesus made the cosmic, Jesus made the physical, and Jesus made the spiritual. In fact, Paul elaborates, doesn't he, getting rather particular when he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, this is a phrase that Paul will repeat six times in his letter, and it's usually a reference, by the way, not to political leaders, but to spiritual forces. In fact, in particular, often it's a reference to uh, evil spiritual forces. For instance, in Ephesians 6, he writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and, and against authorities the spiritual forces of evil. And so I tell you this morning, based on Colossians 1.6, the spiritual forces of evil that exist this day, even they owe their existence to Jesus. Of course, he didn't make them evil. You can read about that in the book of Jude, if you'd like. But, but they, the, these evil forces who seek to harm the human race, who cause chaos in this world, who oppose the purpose of our Lord and his redemption, he knowing all of this, he made them. Of course, that might raise some questions, why? Um, the question I have is why of all the things in which Paul can say, okay, Jesus made this thing in particular, why, why is he bringing the, uh, spiritual forces of evil up? Why, You know, why not talk about a flying bird or the taste of a steak or the the smell of a campfire or the crack of a baseball bat? Why, Why, of all the things he could have talked about, of the particular things that Jesus made, why talk about thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities? Well, we'll find out in the book of Colossians when we get to chapter 2 that there, there are some in this church who are worshiping angels, according to chapter 2 and verse 18. They are, they are evidently of the mind that if we, if we could get the angel, right angel on our side, we'll be saved from harm. And so I think what Paul is doing before he even gets to that argument is, is telling us that those angels, these spiritual beings were created by Christ. So don't worship them, worship their creator. In, in fact, if, if Jesus, if even the evil spiritual beings that owe their existence to Jesus, how secure then are we in Christ? Right? Our worst enemies, those who oppose us most uh, strongly, exist at the pleasure of our Lord and Savior. What do we have to worry about then? What ultimately concern do we have? We're secure for all things are created in Christ. And we might even add, as Paul does, they were created for Christ. As you consider, secondly, all things are created for Jesus. For we read on in verse 16, do we not? And we read at the end of that verse, all things were created through him. And here's the little phrase that's important for us to see. And for him. For him. So Jesus is not only the creator of creation, he is the end of creation. He is the goal of creation. The sun rose this morning around 7.20 a.m. Ultimately, not for you, but for Jesus. The sleep you enjoyed last night, that's for Jesus. The food you'll eat this afternoon, that's for Jesus. The Christmas tree in your living room, that's for Jesus. The presents underneath it, they exist for Jesus. The love that you have, the family that you have, this church that we worship in exists for Jesus. All things exist for Christ. Nothing exists including you, exists for your own sake. It all exists to magnify Him. All exists to display His glory and His greatness. I appreciate what one pastor said. Everything from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring School subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked dictator. Everything that exists, exists for Christ, including you. You exist for Jesus. Let that sit on you today. Rest in your heart. I exist not for my own sake. I exist for His sake. How then should you live? Should you not therefore live? for his sake you say what's my life for I'll tell you what it's for it's for Jesus you exist for Jesus It was Abraham Kuyper who captured this sentiment I believe famously Abraham Kuyper, by the way, was a pastor who founded a denomination, a journalist who started a national newspaper, a scholar who started a university, and a politician who started a political party and was then elected to Prime Minister of the Netherlands. He's most famous today for his stunning statement during the inaugural election at the Free University of Amsterdam when he said, quote, There is not a square inch in this whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, Mine. It's all mine, Jesus says. The truth of that claim, that Jesus has ownership over all things, does not depend upon whether you recognize it or not. You are made for Jesus. You exist for Jesus. I suggest it's best that you yield yourself to your Creator and Lord. In fact, I would think this, would, this truth would impact how we handle this world. How we, if it's all made for Jesus, should that not in, guide our interaction with the world in which he made? Perhaps you'll, you'll chalk this up as your California preacher uh, once again, but I, I think this has implications in regard to animal extinction and environmental degradation and pollution. I think if this exists for Jesus, we should probably take good care of it. Yeah. I think this is is why I think we're kind and gentle to dogs. This is why we gladly have them under our table and eat about a third of the food that falls on the ground. We pat them on the head and give them cookies. Why? Because they're made for Jesus. I still don't know what to do with cats, but I'm working on that. Of course, it ought to chiefly impact the way that we don't simply look at the trees and the rivers and the dogs under our table. It ought to chiefly impact the way we look at one another. The very pinnacle of creation. Historically, it has. This is why Christians some time ago created this wonderful brand new invention called a hospital. Because it was Christians who declared that people, elderly, infirm, young, needed care because they were made for Jesus. This is why so many of you have adopted from Russia and China and Ethiopia and Kazakhstan and Winchester, even within this congregation and elsewhere, I'm sure. Why? Well, because these people, these orphans, they're made for Jesus. This is why Lovey, I trust, goes to Guatemala. This is why we, we give sacrificially to the Moon Christmas offering to impact people's lives in which we have never seen. And many of us, will, of course, will never see them. Why? Because those people are made for Jesus. This is why Cody is going to lead many of you in just about nine months or so up to Lovettsville to start a brand new church. Why? Because it's easy? No might be much easier all just hang out here and enjoy this wonderful congregation. Why are we doing this? Because there's a town called Lovettsville inhabited with people who are made for Jesus. And they would be best served to have a gospel community in that town. It's all made for Christ. That ought to impact how we live in this world. Of course, we see thirdly, Paul will continue now in verse 17. He would tell us all things came after Jesus. So we're unsure of who he is. He goes on, and as we read, and he is before all things. So, before there was anything created, there was life, which we now call Jesus. You go back as far as you want, you're always going to find Jesus. Jesus existed before creation, he is before all things. Now, how many times have you heard the statement, I like to think of God as? You heard that before? I like, you know, I like to think of God as this, or I like to think of God as that, as if God were a product of our imagination. To me, I find that just to be a stunning statement. I mean, can you imagine if I came up to you and you said, I said, you know, I like to think of you as a ballerina, right? Well, that, that probably wouldn't be a compliment for most of you. It might be offensive. You, you came up to me and said, you know, Stephen, I like to think of you as a soccer fan, okay? Those would be fighting words, right? Settle down, John, okay? Right? I mean, it's a a stunning statement. like, we're talking about the eternal God himself. How arrogant is that? I I like to think of God as, or my God would never do this, or my God would not do that. As As if we have the authority to confine the realm in which God is able to act. As if we thought of God in the first place. Oh, I tell you, the God in which Paul is referring to, the God I speak to you over this morning, did not begin with your thoughts. He is the eternal God, and he is the one who began you. Sometimes we think we're doing him a favor when we come by and worship him on Sunday mornings. You know, we give him a little nod of approval, pay our respects, give God a little visit. I'm sure he'll be pleased with that. Please understand as we read these verses, I'm struck by the truth that this world is unnecessary, that you and I are unnecessary, that creation is unnecessary. That Christ, out of His great love and power, made it be, and we are totally dependent upon Him. Is what is it we sometimes sing? He has the whole world in His hands. In fact, He holds us together. As you see, lastly, what Paul will explain for us: that Christ not only created all things; He not all things not only exist for Christ; not all things not only come after Christ; all things are sustained in christ we read on in verse 17 and we see this wonderful truth and in him all things hold together everything holds together in jesus the 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 world would collapse into chaos right now if jesus was not holding it together the author of hebrews says the son sustains all things by the power of his word So Jesus right now is holding the solar system together and he's holding the molecules in this building together and he is holding your body together. In other words, his involvement in creation is not some past distant act, but it is ongoing work. It is a sustaining work moment by moment. And therefore without Jesus, everything would revert to nothingness, including you and I and even those who are active in their rebellion against him even those who deny this truth are totally dependent upon him for their continued existence. I remember it was I think it was in middle school that I learned about an atom and a, and inside of well, I try not to bore you too much but inside an atom if I remember correctly is a, a nucleus and the nucleus is made of two particles, one called a neutron. It's called a neutron because it's neutral and one called a proton. And it's called a proton because it has a positive charge. And so you have this in this nucleus, you have all these protons stuck together. Well, I also learned in middle school that uh, a, a like charges repel each other. So if you take two uh, magnets, right, and of the same charge and you try to put them together, you'll find this mysterious force is preventing you from putting them together. You can't with all the strength you muster. You can't put them together. They are being repelled because the, these like forces repel one another. So the question, of course, is then if that's the case, how do you have nucleuses in atoms which make up everything? If it's all protons stuck together, why don't they fly apart unless there is some p- more powerful mysterious force holding them together? Now, I understand, and this, is, this is hard to understand. This is, this is, I mean, deep science. This is like, you know, only Albert Einstein, myself, and a few others understand this, okay? okay. But it is Carl Darrow, physicist. And AT&T, who said nuclei have no right to exist at all. Indeed, they should never have evolved, and if evolved, they should have blown up instantly. Yet there they are, for some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. Of course, he doesn't know what it is. Scientists don't know what it is. They call it gluons. I think they might want to read Colossians one seventeen. For in Him all things hold together. Now, I'm not saying there's not a natural force that one day we'll discover that is keeping these protons together, but it's still an invention of Christ. It still points us to what Jesus is doing. He holds the world together. He holds all things together. He sustains them, including you. So I ask you, are you, hold, are you being held together? Or do you feel like you're coming apart? You know, if you bring an animal from the... A deepest part of the ocean that lives under incredible pressure under the weight of that water and you bring them towards the surface of, of that water, you know what happens with that animal? It explodes. It, it blows apart because it's not where it belongs. It's not made for that. It's not fit for that environment. I think you take someone out of Christ's kingdom, what happens? They tend to blow apart. I mean, We see this in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. What immediately happens is just total chaos and sons are killing sons and all sorts of terrible wickedness taking place and relationships are breaking down and the world is breaking down and everything seems to blow being blown apart i don't know so, i mean that's like the the, the motto for the 2020 this place is blowing apart whether it's medically or politically or racially i mean it's just one thing after another certainly spiritually it seems like this world is falling apart and i'm not sure we should be surprised because the more we distance ourselves from God, the more we remove we ourselves from this ministry in which Jesus has in our lives. So I wonder, my friends, how are you doing? Are you holding together? Is your family holding together? It's Christ who holds us together? It has been said come, he comes today to a broken up people with broken down lives, broken up homes and broken husbands and wives. All the world around us is falling apart, full of broken up people and broken down parts. So many things that money can't buy. You can't buy peace of mind no matter how hard you try. Broken up people need brand new lives. I know where you can find one. A brand new life, that is. You may find it in Christ. For Jesus holds all things together, including us, spiritually, not just physically. Physically. The gospel tells us, even as we've been reminded by Pastor Cody, that that Christ has come and he has died upon the cross. You see that in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we can return to a holy God, even though we're sinners, that we might receive the forgiveness in which he offers because he came to die for us and to shed his blood on our behalf and pay our debt of sin and die in our place. And now we can enjoy his love and his fellowship and indeed his ministry. We can begin to experience some of what life is supposed to be as we trust in Jesus. And my Christian brothers and sisters, as we continually yield ourselves to Jesus, if anything, these verses tell us it is to yield to Christ. The greatness of our Lord. He made everything. He rules over everything. He holds it all together. In fact, the the distance between the earth and the sun is 92 million miles. I've told you this before. I find it fascinating, though. 92 million miles to get to the sun. Let's say that distance, 92 miles, is the thickness of this paper. The distance between the earth and the nearest star will be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Our galaxy is a speck of dust in the part of the universe in which we can see, and that part that we can see might be only the smallest fraction of what there actually exists. And Jesus holds it all together by the word of his power. Now, is that the type of person you go to, to ask to be your servant? Is that the type of person you go to to ask to come when you call and do what you say? Is that the type of person you go to to accept his advice and instruction as long as it helps you with your goals? I don't think so. That's the type of person we come and we bow down and we lay everything at his feet and we say, I'm yours, do with me as you say. What did the prophet Micah say? He shall be great. Is he great in your heart? Is he great in your mind? I think Christmas time is a time of a kind of our annual nod of approval to Jesus for so many. And then we get on with the important things in our lives, right? He's the creator of the universe. You can't just admire him. You have to surrender everything to him. And so my hope, my brothers and sisters, is that these truths would fuel your worship for this Creator God that we love. That this would not simply be a baby in a manger, but that he would be the God of creation. And as I sometimes hear on the radio, and as he spoke, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of his breath, the planets form. And if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the creation sings your praises, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. Are you? Is he being lifted high in your heart? I invite you this morning to respond to the truth about Christ creator and the sustainer of all things. Our Father, we are thankful for your word and the glories it contains. We are thankful that we know Jesus, that he has saved us by his blood and his resurrection, and we're thankful that even before he came to this world to save us, he created this world, created us. And so we were reminded today in light of all the chaos in this world and all, all, the, all the things clamoring for our attention of this fundamental truth about the meaning of the life in which we live, it is for Jesus. May we live that life in his honor and for his glory so that he may be great in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.